Chapter 7 of Book 2 of Eudamian Ethics by Aristotle. Translated by J. Solomon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter 7. We must then ascertain what is the voluntary and the involuntary, and what is deliberate choice since by these virtue and vice are defined first we must consider the voluntary and involuntary of three things it would seem to be one agreement with either desire or choice or thought that is the voluntary would agree the involuntary would be contrary to one of these but again desire is divided into three sorts wish anger and sensual appetite we have then to distinguish these and first to consider the case of agreement with sensual appetite now all that is in agreement with sensual appetite would seem to be voluntary for all the involuntary seems to be forced and what is forced is painful and so is all that men do and suffer from compulsion as aino says all to which we are compelled is unpleasant so that if an act is painful it is forced on us and if forced it is painful but all that is contrary to sensual appetite is painful for such appetite is for the pleasant and therefore forced and involuntary what then agrees with sensual appetite is voluntary for these two are opposites further all wickedness makes one more unjust and incontinence seems to be wickedness the incontinent being the sort of man that acts in accordance with his appetite and contrary to his reason and shows his incontinence when he acts in accordance with his appetite but to act unjustly is voluntary so that the incontinent will act unjustly by acting according to his appetite he will then act voluntarily and what is done according to appetite is voluntary indeed it would be absurd that those who become incontinent should be more just from these considerations then the act done from appetite would seem voluntary but from the following the opposite what a man does voluntarily he wishes and what he wishes to do he does voluntarily but no one wishes what he thinks to be bad but surely the man who acts incontinently does not do what he wishes for to act incontinently is to act through appetite contrary to what the man thinks best whence it results that the same man acts at the same time both voluntarily and involuntarily but this is impossible further the continent will do a just act and more so than incontinence for continence is a virtue and virtue makes men more just now one acts continently whenever he acts against his appetite in accordance with his reason so that if to act justly is voluntary as to act unjustly is for both these seem to be voluntary and if the one is so must the other be but action contrary to appetite is involuntary then the same man will at the same time do the same thing voluntarily and involuntarily the same argument may be applied to anger for there is thought to be a continence and incontinence of anger just as there is of appetite 
and what is contrary to our anger is painful and the repression is forced so that if the forced is involuntary all acts done out of anger would be voluntary heraclitus too seems to be regarding the strength of anger when he says that the restraint of it is painful it is hard he says to fight with anger for it gives its life for what it desires but if it is impossible for a man voluntarily and involuntarily to do the same thing at the same time and in regard to the same part of the act then what is done from wish is more voluntary than that which is done from appetite or anger and a proof of this is that we do many things voluntarily without anger or desire it remains then to consider whether to act from wish and to act voluntarily are identical but this too seems impossible for we assumed and all admit that wickedness makes men more unjust and incontinence seems a kind of wickedness but the opposite will result from the hypothesis above for no one wishes what he thinks bad but does it when he becomes incontinent if then to commit injustice is voluntary and the voluntary is what agrees with wish then when a man becomes incontinent he will be no longer committing injustice but will be more just than before he became incontinent but this is impossible that the voluntary then is not action in accordance with desire nor the involuntary action in opposition to it is clear chapter eight but again that action in accordance with or in opposition to choice is not the true description of the voluntary and involuntary is clear from the following considerations it has been shown that the act in agreement with wish was not involuntary but rather that all that one wishes is voluntary though it has also been shown that one may do voluntarily what one does not wish but we do many things from wish suddenly but no one deliberately chooses an act suddenly but if as we saw the voluntary must be one of these three action according either to desire choice or thought and it is not two of these the remaining alternative is that the voluntary consists in action with some kind of thought advancing a little further let us close our delimitation of the voluntary and the involuntary to act on compulsion or not on compulsion seems connected with these terms for we say that the enforced is involuntary and all the involuntary is enforced so that first we must consider the action done on compulsion its nature and its relation to the voluntary and the involuntary now the enforced and the necessary force and necessity seem opposed to the voluntary and to persuasion in the case of acts done generally we speak of enforced action and necessity even in the case of inanimate things for we say that a stone moves upwards and fire downwards on compulsion and by force but when they move according to their natural internal tendency we do not call the act one due to force nor do we call it voluntary either there is no name for this antithesis but when they move contrary to this tendency then we say they move by force so too among things living and among animals we often see things suffering and acting from force when something from without moves them 
contrary to their own internal tendency now in the inanimate the moving principle is simple but in the animated there is more than one principle for desire and reason do not always agree and so with the other animals the action on compulsion is simple just as in the inanimate for they have not desire and reason opposing one another but live by desire but man has both that is at a certain age to which we attribute also the power of action for we do not use this term of the child nor of the brute but only of the man who has come to act from reason so the compulsory act seems always painful and no one acts from force and yet with pleasure hence there arises much dispute about the continent and incontinent for each of them acts with two tendencies mutually opposed so that as the expression goes the continent forcibly drags himself from the pleasant appetites for he feels pain in dragging himself away against the resistance of desire while the incontinent forcibly drags himself contrary to his reason but still the latter seems less to be in pain for appetite is for the pleasant and this he follows with delight so that the incontinent rather acts voluntarily and not from force because he acts without pain but persuasion is opposed to force and necessity and the continent goes towards what he is persuaded of and so proceeds not from force but voluntarily but appetite leads without persuading being devoid of reason we have then shown that these alone seem to act from force and involuntarily and why they seem to viz from a certain likeness to the enforced action in virtue of which we attribute enforced action also to the inanimate yet if we add the addition made in our definition there also the statement becomes untrue for it is only when something external moves a thing or brings it to rest against its own internal tendency that we say this happens by force otherwise we do not say that it happens by force but in the continent and the incontinent it is the present internal tendency that leads them for they have both tendencies so that neither acts on compulsion nor by force but as far at least as the above goes voluntarily for the external moving principle that hinders or moves in opposition to the internal tendency is what we call necessity e g when we strike some one with the hand of one whose wish and appetite alike resist but when the principle is from within there is no force further there is both pleasure and pain in both for the continent feels pain now in acting against his appetite but has the pleasure of hope i e that he will be presently benefited or even the pleasure of being actually at present benefited because he is in health while the incontinent is pleased at getting through his incontinency what he desires but has a pain of expectation thinking that he is doing ill so that to say that both act from compulsion is not without reason the one sometimes acting involuntarily owing to his desire the other owing to his reason these two being separated are thrust out by one another whence men apply the language to the soul as a whole because we see something like the above in the case of the elements of the soul now of the parts of the soul this may be said but the soul as a whole whether in the continent 
or the incontinent acts voluntarily and neither acts on compulsion but one of the elements in them does since by nature we have both for reason is in them by nature because if growth is permitted and not maimed it will be there and appetite because it accompanies and is present in us from birth but these are practically the two marks by which we define the natural it is either that which is found with us as soon as we are born or that which comes to us if growth is allowed to proceed regularly e g gray hair old age and so on so that either acts in a way contrary to nature and yet broadly speaking according to nature but not the same nature the puzzles then about the continent and incontinent are these do both or one of them act on compulsion so that they act involuntarily or else at the same time both on compulsion and voluntarily that is if the compulsory is involuntary both voluntarily and involuntarily and it is tolerably clear from the above how these puzzles are to be met in another way too men are said to act by force and compulsion without any disagreement between reason and desire in them viz when they do what they consider both painful and bad but they are threatened with stripes imprisonment or death if they do not do it such acts they say they did on compulsion or shall we deny this and say that all do the act itself voluntarily for they had the power to abstain from doing it and to submit to the suffering again perhaps one might say that some such acts were voluntary and some not for whatever of the acts that a man does without wishing them he has the power to do or abstain from doing these he always does voluntarily and not by force but those in which he has not this power he does by force in a sense but not absolutely because he does not choose the very thing he does but the purpose for which it is done since there is a difference too in this for if a man were to murder another that he might not catch him at blind man's buff he would be laughed at if he were to say that he acted by force and on compulsion there ought to be some greater and more painful evil that he would suffer if he did not commit the murder for then he will act on compulsion and either by force or at least not by nature when he does something evil for the sake of good or release from a greater evil then he will at least act involuntarily for such acts are not subject to his control hence many regard love anger in some cases and natural conditions as involuntary as being too strong for nature we feel indulgence for them as things capable of overpowering nature a man would seem to act from force and involuntarily if he acted to escape violent then if to escape gentle pain and generally if to escape pain than if to get pleasure for that which depends on him and all turns on this is what his nature is able to bear what it is not what is not under the control of his natural desire or reason that does not depend on him therefore those who are inspired and prophesy though their act is one of thought we still say have it not in their own power either to say what they said or to do what they did and so of acts done through appetite 
so that some thoughts and passions do not depend on us nor the acts following such thoughts and reasonings but as philolaus said some arguments are too strong for us so that if the voluntary and involuntary had to be considered in reference to the presence of force as well as from other points of view let this be our final distinction nothing obscures the idea of the voluntary so much as the use of the expression that men act from force and yet voluntarily chapter nine since we have finished this subject and we have found the voluntary not to be defined either by desire or by choice it remains to define it as that which depends on thought the voluntary then seems opposed to the involuntary and to act with knowledge of the person acted on instrument and tendency for sometimes one knows the object e g as father but not that the tendency of the act is to kill not to save as in the case of peleus's daughters or knows the object to be a drink but takes it to be a philter or wine when it was really hemlock seems opposed to action in ignorance of the person instrument or thing if that is the action is essentially the effect of ignorance all that is done owing to ignorance whether of person instrument or thing is involuntary the opposite therefore is voluntary all then that a man does it being in his power to abstain from doing it not in ignorance and owing to himself must needs be voluntary voluntariness is this but all that he does in ignorance and owing to his ignorance he does involuntarily but since science or knowledge is of two sorts one the possession the other the use of knowledge the man who has but does not use knowledge may in a sense be justly called ignorant but in another sense not justly e g if he had not used his knowledge owing to carelessness similarly one might be blamed for not having the knowledge if it were something easy or necessary and he does not have it because of carelessness or pleasure or pain this then we must add to our definition such then is the completion of our distinction of the voluntary and the involuntary chapter ten let us next speak about choice first raising various difficulties about it for one might doubt to what genus it belongs and in which to place it and whether the voluntary and the chosen are or are not the same now some insist that choice is either opinion or desire and the inquirer might well think that it was one or the other for both are found accompanying it now that it is not desire is plain for then it would be either wish appetite or anger for none desires without having experienced one of these feelings but anger and appetite belong also to the brutes while choice does not further even those who are capable of both the former often choose without either anger or appetite and when they are under the influence of those passions they do not choose but remain unmoved by them further anger and appetite always involve pain but we often choose without pain 
but neither are wish and choice the same for we often wish for what we know is impossible e g to rule all mankind or to be immortal but no one chooses such things unless ignorant of the impossibility nor even what is possible generally if he does not think it in his power to do or to abstain from doing it so that this is clear that the object of choice must be one of the things in our own power similarly choice is not an opinion nor generally what one thinks for the object of choice was something in one's power and many things may be thought that are not e g that the diagonal is commensurable and further choice is not either true or false nor yet is choice identical with our opinion about matters of practice which are in our own power as when we think that we ought to do or not to do something this argument applies to wish as well as to opinion for no one chooses an end but the means to an end e g no one chooses to be in health but to walk or to sit for the purpose of keeping well no one chooses to be happy but to make money or run risks for the purpose of being happy and in general in choosing we show both what we choose and for what we choose it the latter being that for which we choose something else the former that which we choose for something else but it is the end that we specially wish for and we think we ought to be healthy and happy so that it is clear through this that choice is different both from opinion and from wish for wish and opinion are specially of the end but choice is not it is clear then that choice is not wish or opinion or judgment simply but in what does it differ from these how is it related to the voluntary the answer to these questions will also make it clear what choice is of possible things then there are some such that we can deliberate about them while about others we cannot for some things are possible but the production of them is not in our power some being due to nature others to other causes and about these none would attempt to deliberate except in ignorance but about others not only existence and non-existence is possible but also human deliberation these are things the doing or not doing of which is in our own power therefore we do not deliberate about the affairs of the indians nor how the circle may be squared for the first are not in our power the second is wholly beyond the power of action but we do not even deliberate about all things that may be done and that are in our power by which it is clear that choice is not opinion simply though the matters of choice and action belong to the class of things in our own power one might then raise the problem why do doctors deliberate about matters within their science but not grammarians the reason is that error may occur in two ways either in reasoning or in perception when we are engaged in the very act and in medicine one may go wrong in both ways but in grammar one can do so only in respect of the perception and action and if they inquired about this there would be no end to their inquiries since then choice is neither opinion nor wish singly nor yet both for no one chooses suddenly though he thinks he ought to act 
and wishes suddenly, it must be compounded of both, for both are found in a man choosing. But we must ask, how compounded out of these? The very name is some indication, for choice is not simply taking, but taking one thing before another, and this is impossible without consideration and deliberation. Therefore choice arises out of deliberate opinion. Now about the end no one deliberates, this being fixed for all, but about that which tends to it, whether this or that tends to it, and supposing this or that resolved on, how it is to be brought about. All consider this till they have brought the commencement of the production to a point in their own power. If, then, no one deliberately chooses without some preparation, without some consideration whether it is better or worse to do so-and-so, and if one considers all that are in one's power of the means to the end which are capable of existing or not existing, it is clear that choice is a considered desire for something in one's own power, for we all consider what we choose, but we do not choose all that we consider. I call it considered when consideration is the source and cause of the desire, and the man desires because of the consideration. Therefore in the other animals choice does not exist, nor in man at every age or in every condition, for there is not consideration or judgment of the ground of an act. But it is quite possible that many animals have an opinion whether a thing is to be done or not, only thinking with consideration is impossible to them. For the considering part of the soul is that which observes a cause of some sort, and the object of an action is one of the causes, for we call cause that owing to which a thing comes about. But the purpose of a thing's existence or production is what we specially call its cause, e.g., of walking, the fetching of things, if this is the purpose for which one walks. Therefore, those who have no aim fixed have no inclination to deliberate, so that since, if a man of himself and not through ignorance does or abstains from that which is in his power to do or abstain from, he acts or abstains voluntarily. But we do many such things without deliberation or premeditation. It follows that all that has been deliberately chosen is voluntary, but not all the voluntary is deliberately chosen, and that all that is according to choice is voluntary, but not all that is voluntary is according to choice. And at the same time it is clear from this that those legislators define well who enact that some states of feeling are to be considered voluntary, some involuntary, and some premeditated, for if they are not thoroughly accurate, at least they approximate to the truth. But about this we will speak in our investigation of justice. Meanwhile it is clear that deliberate choice is not simply wish or simply opinion, but opinion and desire together when following as a conclusion from deliberation. But since in deliberating one always deliberates for the sake of some end, and he who deliberates has always an aim by reference to which he judges what is expedient, no one deliberates about the end. This is the starting point and assumption, like the assumptions in theoretical science. 
we have spoken about this shortly in the beginning of this work and minutely in the analytics everyone's inquiry whether made with or without art is about what tends to the end e g whether they shall go to war or not when this is what they are deliberating about but the cause or object will come first e g wealth pleasure or anything else of the sort that happens to be our object for the man deliberating deliberates if he has considered from the point of view of the end what conduces to bringing the end within his own action or what he at present can do towards the object but the object or end is always something good by nature and men deliberate about its partial constituents e g the doctor whether he is to give a drug or the general where he is to pitch his camp to them the absolutely best end is good but contrary to nature and by perversion not the good but the apparent good is the end and the reason is that some things cannot be used for anything but what their nature determines e g sight for one can see nothing but what is visible nor hear anything but what is audible but science enables us to do what does not belong to that science for the same science is not similarly related to health and disease but naturally to the former contrary to nature to the latter and similarly wish is of the good naturally but of the bad contrary to nature and by nature one wishes the good but contrary to nature and through perversion the bad as well but further the corruption and perversion of a thing does not tend to anything at random but to the contrary or the intermediate between it and the contrary for out of this province one cannot go since error leads not to anything at random but to the contrary of truth where there is a contrary and to that contrary which is according to the appropriate science contrary therefore the error and the resulting choice must deviate from the mean towards the opposite and the opposite of the mean is excess or defect and the cause is pleasantness or painfulness for we are so constituted that the pleasant appears good to the soul and the more pleasant better while the painful appears bad and the more painful worse so that from this also it is clear that virtue and vice have to do with pleasures and pains for they have to do with objects of choice and choice has to do with the good and bad or what seems such and pleasure and pain naturally seem such it follows then since moral virtue is itself a mean and wholly concerned with pleasures and pains and vice lies in excess or defect and is concerned with the same matters as virtue that moral virtue is a habit tending to choose the mean in relation to us in things pleasant and painful in regard to which according as one is pleased or pained men are said to have a definite sort of character for one is not said to have a special sort of character merely for liking what is sweet or what is bitter chapter eleven these distinctions having been made let us say whether virtue makes the choice correct and the end right so that a man chooses for the right end or whether as some say it makes the reason so but what does this is continence 
for this preserves the reason but virtue and continence differ we must speak later about them since those who think that virtue makes the reason right do so for this cause namely that continence is of this nature and continence is one of the things we praise now that we have discussed preliminary questions let us state our view it is possible for the aim to be right but for a man to go wrong in the means to that aim and again the aim may be mistaken while the means leading to it are right or both may be mistaken does then virtue make the aim or the means to that aim we say the aim because this is not attained by inference or reasoning let us assume this as starting point for the doctor does not ask whether one ought to be in health or not but whether one ought to walk or not nor does the trainer ask whether one ought to be in good condition or not but whether one should wrestle or not and similarly no art asks questions about the end for as in theoretical sciences the assumptions are starting points so in the productive the end is starting point and assumed e g we reason that since this body is to be made healthy therefore so and so must be found in it if health is to be had just as in geometry we argue if the angles of the triangle are equal to two right angles then so and so must be the case the end aimed at is then the starting point of our thought the end of our thought the starting point of action if then of all correctness either reason or virtue is the cause if reason is not the cause then the end but not the means must owe its rightness to virtue but the end is the object of the action for all choice is of something and for the sake of some object the object then is the mean and virtue is the cause of this by choosing it still choice is not of this but of the things done for the sake of this to hit on these things i mean what ought to be done for the sake of the object belongs to another faculty but of the rightness of the end of the choice the cause is virtue and therefore it is from a man's choice that we judge his character that is from the object for the sake of which he acts not from the act itself similarly vice makes the choice to be for the sake of the opposite object if then a man having it in his power to do the honourable and abstain from the base does the opposite it is clear that this man is not good hence it follows that both vice and virtue are voluntary for there is no necessity to do what is wicked therefore vice is blamable and virtue praiseworthy for the involuntary if base or bad is not blamable if good is not praiseworthy but only the voluntary further we praise and blame all men with regard to their choice rather than their acts though activity is more desirable than virtue because men may do bad acts under compulsion but no one chooses them under compulsion further it is only because it is not easy to see the nature of a man's choice that we are forced to judge of his character by his acts the activity then is more desirable but the choice more praiseworthy and this both follows from our assumptions and is in agreement with observation and of book two 
Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards.